Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Clare. Michelle, how are you doing tonight? I'm wonderful. How are you tonight, Patricia? I'm very good, very excited about our guest that you suggested. This is a wonderful guest that you decided we should have on the show, and I'm thrilled. And I know you are, too, to have him on, Dr. I am Evan so Alexander. Excited. Oh, my God, he's with Yay. us tonight. I know, really, mm-hmm. this is super. So before we bring him on, tell tell us all what you've been up to. And I know you're always offering new events, so tell us what you got going. I am. Uh, you know, right now, for the month of March and April, they're all online events, online webinars, small group readings, gallery readings. But in May, I will be having in-person events again if you're in the Phoenix area. So we'll be up in Northeast Scottsdale with a group reading and sound and energy healing. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Well, good. That sounds wonderful. And also, people can reach you for their own personal individual readings, and they can find you at michelleclair.net, right? Yes, thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I know how good you are. The first time we ever had you on the show, and we brought up some people that had passed, and you got it right on the money. You were fabulous. And I know yeah. everybody would enjoy reading with you. So that's how to find yeah, you on the days. Internet. <laughs> Schedule the appointment, and yeah, there you go. So wanted to bring up, <laughs> this is all over the Internet, all over TikTok. I couldn't just let this sit by the wayside. This ancient Japanese killing stone. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. What is it? This is a wild one, apparently, in Japan. The, in ancient mm-hmm. Japan, actually, there was this thing known as a killing stone, which was said to contain an evil demon that would kill anybody that came in contact with it. Now, this stone was located in the mountainous region of Tochigi, north of Tokyo. And the thing is, this thing was intact for all these years, and all of a sudden, it broke open. So 
really? people are talking about it. Yeah, it just all of a sudden broke open. Now they're saying the reason is most likely uh, heavy rainfall, and but until now, rainfall has not affected it like this. But there's this big legend around this stone and the fact that it was a spirit of a woman who actually wanted to take over Japan, who was then controlled and contained within this rock. So it's a very interesting legend, and now the rock is open. Well, hey, we've had COVID, now we have war. Why not have a demon come out of a rock, right? That's exactly. next. That's, that's what we're waiting for. <laughs> Time to call in the angels, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> So now we have that. But it's an interesting legend, and the rock, they showed pictures of it. It's broken wide open. So who knows where that demon is now. But anyways, it's an interesting story. Lots of stories on our Facebook page, as usual, lots of UFO reports and all kinds of other things. Go check it out there. Make sure you like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and on our website. We have new products to take a look at. We don't sell them. We just let you know they're there. You can click on the link. It will bring you to the people's websites. We have the Tesla coil, which I'm going to be reporting on next week. Let's see if this thing works. I've had it for a week now. I am so excited. Yeah, I am too to see. I'm I'm keeping notes. I'm keeping track. So I'm going to be able to tell all of you, does this work or not? And we also have a new product. If if you're sick of taking vitamin pills, there is a company called Aurora that is producing liposomal vitamins. It's in a liquid form. It actually tastes pretty good. So I recommend it. I'm one of those people that takes about a million pills every day, and it gets very, very tiring. So I love it when somebody hands me something that's liquid that I can take. And with it being liposomal, it's quickly and easily absorbed. So that's on the website front page. Just scroll down. You'll be able to click on it and read all about the different ones they have, vitamin C, NAD, vitamin B, multivitamin mineral complex. It's all there. Take a look. So tonight, let's get back to the main event. Academic neurosurgeon, Dr. Eben Alexander III, whose career includes decades as a physician and associate professor at Harvard Medical School and revered teaching hospitals, was once staunchly committed to the materialist world view, the belief that the physical world is all that exists. His scientific belief system was altered by his 2008 transcendental near-death experience, an odyssey into another realm during a week long coma. And despite a bleak, and we mean really bleak, medical prognosis, Dr. Alexander awoke to make an inexplicable return to full health. His medical case and recovery were validated in the peer-reviewed Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease. Since his near-death experience, Dr. Alexander has been reconciling his rich spiritual experience with quantum physics, cosmology, and the philosophy of mind. Dr. Alexander speaks around the world to educate about the role that consciousness plays in wellness, healing, and recovery. Now, his books are available in more than 40 countries. Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife, The Map of Heaven, 
how science, religion, and ordinary people are proving the afterlife and living in a mindful universe, a neurosurgeon's journey into the heart of consciousness, co-authored with Sacred Acoustics co-founder Karen Newell. These are all available. You can get these books on Amazon.com. We have read Proof of Heaven. It is a fabulous book, so well written. Dr. Alexander, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Patricia and Michelle. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have you here. So please tell us, go to the beginning. Tell us what in the world happened to you. Well, I think it's important to point out that I had spent the first 54 years of my life honing a very kind of conventional scientific worldview. And uh, that was basically, you know, the position of physicalism or materialism that you mentioned in the introduction the notion that only the physical world exists and that things like consciousness, uh, beliefs, ideas, uh, feelings, attitudes, that those things have no basis in reality, that every bit of consciousness is a derivative from physical matter. And that's what I believe. Um, it, uh, you know, it turns out my, my father, who was very influential in my life, my adoptive father, uh, had been a globally renowned neurosurgeon. And uh, he had a very strong belief in God and the power of prayer. And in fact, I would say he used that often as a healer, as a physician. But I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and like so many of that generation, uh, you know, I really came to believe science is the pathway to truth. And I believe that more firmly now than ever before. But I also realized that materialist science, you know, that science I had studied so hard, uh, when it comes to consciousness, is, uh, is obsolete it really does not begin to answer any questions. So that's where what happened to me in November of 2008 uh, was so critical because it, it basically flipped my entire worldview by going through a near-fatal case of bacterial meningoencephalitis. So it all started uh, about 4.30 in the morning with severe headache, severe back pain, and uh, within uh, about three hours or so, I was having grand mal seizures and, and in coma. And so I was, uh, my family called the EMTs. They took me off to Lynchburg General Hospital, which a place where I had worked as a neurosurgeon for more than two years at that point. And uh, they, in fact, the, the, the uh, admitting ER doc didn't even recognize me. She was a good friend, but she just new 54-year-old white male status epilepticus in extremis trying to die on her watch. And she uh, did a lumbar puncture, rapidly figured out that I had a severe case of what's called gram-negative bacterial uh, meningitis. And uh, they put me on a ventilator and put me up on the medical ICU on three powerful intravenous antibiotics. And that's where, from the perspective of this earth, I languished for the next seven days. Uh, because all they did was watch is, you know, my lab values, my neurologic exams, uh, my scans revealed an overwhelming case of severe uh, life-threatening meningitis uh, with a lot of brain involvement, uh, so a meningoencephalitis. And uh, turns out that uh, they estimated I had a 10% chance of survival early in the week. By the end of that uh, seven-day coma, they estimated I'd gone to a 2% chance of survival with no chance of recovery. Uh, and that's when they recommended stopping the antibiotics and letting nature take its course. Of course, that was horrible news for my family. 
be facing that. And uh, everyone was quite surprised when a few hours after that determination and that family meeting, I started coming back to this world. Now, uh, when I came back, my brain was still absolutely wrecked. Uh, and if you read Grief of Heaven, you'll get all of this. But the, the reality is when I woke up in that ICU bed, I did not even recognize my mother, my sisters, my sons, you know, loved ones at the bedside. I had no idea who they were. One of the uh, atypical features of my near-death experience is that I was amnesic. I had absolutely no memories of this earth, this universe, any of the uh, events of the life of Evan Alexander before coma, uh, religious beliefs, scientific knowledge, every bit of it was completely gone. And, of course, in the weeks after my coma, I accepted all of the law saying, well, I guess I, my neocortex was so badly damaged, I was beginning to learn that in the weeks after my coma. Um, but the interesting thing is that m- memories came back very rapidly, literally over hours and days. By two months, all of my memories had returned, and that is a real shocker. Um, but it just points out the fact that we, we elucidate in our third book, Living in a Mindful Universe, that memories are not even stored in the brain. And that's something that scientists have suspected for a very long time. And it only makes sense when you look at this kind of story and others like it. But memories are not stored in the brain, nor is consciousness produced within the brain itself. Now, the brain's obviously very important for consciousness, but uh, we can get all that in a, a little bit. But so getting back but where to where are the story, memories? Where are the memories stored, Doctor Alexander? Um, we should talk about that a little bit later. Okay. Let's, okay. Let's oh, I'd love it. to hear that Basically, answer. Okay. Great. Because you you really have to rework our whole notion of what exists in the universe, the relationship between uh, perceptual awareness and the physical realm and all of that. It's a a deep and profound question. I would, the short answer to your question is memories reside in what I would call the quantum hologram, which is basically Mm -hmm. the information field that is supplies all of the events that occur in in this physical realm but it's a much more Mm. generalized field of possibilities and potential but that essentially is where uh, where memories reside but but getting back to my uh, journey and and I'll I'll try to be fairly brief so we can then you know get into a lot of questions about it Uh, because Mm -hmm. I tell a lot of this story in proof of heaven and in many talks on YouTube and things like that but the, the, the brief version of what happened to me is it all started in what I call the earthworm's eye view, a very primitive course on responsive realm, like being in dirty jello. It seemed to go on for an extremely long time. Uh, often when I tell people about that, they say, well, was that some kind of hell or purgatory? Well, I don't know. It, uh, it seemed to be just the way existence is. I, it wasn't frightening or foreboding to me when I went through it, even though it sounds kind of bleak in my description, but that's only because I had no memory of anything better. So I had no notion that anything else could be in terms of an existence. But luckily I was rescued from that earthworm eye view by this slowly spinning pure white light that came packaged with a perfect musical melody. And it's the notes of those melody that were very crucial because I would later find myself tumbling back down to the same region from the highest spiritual realms. And it was by remembering the musical notes of the melody that I could conjure up this portal that led up into this brilliant uh, gateway valley. And that was the next stage of my journey. 
uh, the Gateway Valley. And it was, uh, in many ways, it had Earth-like features. I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There were millions of other butterflies looping and spiraling in these vast formations. Uh, there were thousands of, of beings, people, dancing down below us in this beautiful meadow surrounded by this uh, rich forest. And I remember the plant life uh, in this uh, meadow and forest was especially noteworthy because blossoms, buds, flowers, all these things would open up in this rich, dynamic texture of beauty and life and fertility. But there was no sign of any death or decay. That's why I often liken this, this gateway valley to Plato's world of ideals. If you study the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, you'll find that he thought that there was a world of ideals on which this fairly imperfect material world was based. And that would be an apt description of what I was witnessing in this, uh, in this gateway valley. And the most beautiful thing about it was that I wasn't alone. There was a, a lovely young woman who was beside me on the butterfly wing, and those who read Proof of Heaven will realize how crucial her uh, coming to identify her four months after my coma was so uh, essential to my understanding the depths of reality of this journey. But at the time, I just had no idea who this, who this being was. But her, her presence there was extremely comforting, and I remember, I'll never forget how she looked, you know, with this broad smile and high forehead, high cheekbones, soft uh, soft brown hair framing a lovely face, sparkling blue eyes. And she looked at me with this look of perfect love. She never said a word. She never had to because her thoughts and her deep emotional truth came straight into my awareness uh, as the conceptual flow of knowing. Now, when I came back to this world, I could start applying words to tell the story. And at that point, what I wrote weeks later to describe the message that came directly from her telepathically was you are deeply loved and cherished forever you have nothing to fear you are deeply cared for and the other thing as i put it in the book proof of heaven was you can do no wrong now i wish i had explained that a lot better the way it's there in the book it's a little misleading because people erroneously think oh you mean we can do anything we want fine well that's not the way that message was conveyed it was conveyed in a way that I already understood in that realm that love and uh, kindness, compassion, that these kind of ideals of, of how we treat self and others were the, the, the ambience. They were the background. The, the reality of that realm was of this pure love. So obviously, uh, you know, the ego's desires to go out and do other things and sometimes to even hurt people. Uh, clearly is not going the right direction in this realm. But also I knew that that, that infinitely loving God force that I was uh, familiar with in this realm, which had first been introduced to me, remember I said that I was amnesic. I had no notions of, you know, any religious beliefs, heaven, God, any of that. It was, everything was coming right. at me brand new. And um, mm -hmm. in that setting, uh, on that butterfly wing, there was this soft summer breeze that blew through, and it changed everything. The scene stayed the same, and in fact, my uh, description of the scene would stay the same, but that soft breeze was God, the breath of God, or this divine wind, as I called it in my uh, uh, early writings. And that was my first awareness of the power and the love and the connectedness of that God force that was all through that realm. 
and it was so refreshing and reassuring. And with along with that beautiful girl on the butterfly wing, this was a spiritual home. It was extremely comforting to be there. It's like a place I'd always, uh, you know, longed for, and now all of a sudden I was there. Uh, when I say all that, I'm just talking about that limited exposure that I had with no memories of ever having been a human. So anyway, uh, in that Gateway Valley setting, uh, I was also aware of the, the thousands of beings that were dancing in the meadow down below. Uh, there was tremendous joy and merriment, festivities. I mean, this was all an incredible, uh, joyous uh, party going on. And it was all being fueled because up above were these swooping orbs of, of, of pure kind of angelic beings. And when I uh, was writing it all up weeks later, I called them angelic choirs. And they were emanating these chants and anthems and hymns that would just thunder through my awareness, just this incredible richness of awe and majesty and love and connectedness. And, uh, I mean, the scene, these words uh, fail miserably at, at really conveying what's going on there. To even talk about it, I mean, my heart just starts pounding again because it brings back this incredible sense of what a beautiful, uh, indescribably uh, uh, lovely place that was. Now, it turns out, though, that that was not the ultimate destination of my journey. Uh, as I said, it was a gateway valley. Uh, and it turns out that there was yet again another uh, musical portal, if you will, that opened up. And this was fueled by those angelic choirs. And I remember seeing all of uh, the, the lowest dimensions, the four-dimensional space-time of this material realm collapsing down. And then all of that richness of the Gateway Valley and the spiritual realm, uh, including all that I had gained there, the information coming from that beautiful woman on the butterfly wing, uh, and, and many of the lessons I was being taught there, all of that collapsing down too. And it's important to point out that there's a whole different ordering of time and causality in that realm. To understand that, you need to appreciate when people talk about life reviews, and near-death experiencers have been talking about life reviews going back at least 2,400 years, you know, that notion that your life mm -hmm. flashes before your eyes. And, and one of the original stories of that was from Plato 2,400 years ago, writing about Armenian soldier named Ur who was killed in battle after several days dead on the battlefield. And all the bodies were picked up. And he was a general, so he was a very high-ranking soldier. He was put on a funeral pyre, but he came back to life. And the story he told uh, his fellow soldiers was, when you die, your life flashes before your eyes. You relive any of the important events uh, that, that uh, you need to uh, review as a soul. And, um, and he told them that the only thing that really matters in that life review is how much love you have handed out to others. So anyway, this is kind of the realm we're talking about here. And uh, so the life review doesn't involve just a, a remembering of those events, but a reliving. And you relive them through not only your perspective, but the emotional perspective of those around you who are influenced by your thoughts and actions. So the life review, in many ways, is a beautiful example of how the boundaries of self are not real that we're sharing the dream of the one mind, that we're all truly in this together. And a life review shows you that if you hurt another, you're really hurting yourself. And so one of the deepest lessons buried in the NDE literature and in these kind of experiences is the golden rule, to treat others as we would like to be treated. 
because at the end of our lives, we go through that life review and any residual issues that need to be resolved, we attempt to resolve them in the life review. Um, But anyway, uh, so that gives you an idea of this different temporal causality and what I call deep time that is applicable in those realms. So deep time is the kind of measure of progression of, of the advance of a soul and its learning or the evolution of all consciousness. Now, it turns out, as I said, those angelic choirs provided this portal to, to the highest level that I achieved in this journey, and that's what I call the, the core. And the core was infinite inky blackness, but filled to overflowing with the divine healing love of that God force. And in that core realm, I, w- I was told, again, not in words, but the words I used to describe the concepts when I came back to this world, you are not here to stay we will teach you many things that you'll be going back. And there were many uh, visions there. I've discussed them in so many talks in the book, presentations, etc. We can go into some of that tonight. Uh, but basically, I want to just conclude this part so we can get into, you know, more discussion based on your questions and what direction you want this to go. But it, uh, to finish it off, it's important to note, as I said earlier, that from that core realm and in the core I'll also stress that becoming one with that God force is absolutely part of the package. It was a a strong demonstration to me that the very origin of our conscious awareness is that God force that so many describe encountering in a a deep transcendental near-death experience or other spiritually transformative experience. And becoming one with that God force goes far beyond, as, as I came back here, I realized it doesn't matter if you want to label that God forces, God, Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, Jehovah, Yahweh, Great Spirit. I don't care what words you're using, because ultimately we're all talking about the same fundamental, powerful essence of creative force that is right there at the origin of our awareness. It is a force of love and kindness and compassion and mercy. And that's the most important lesson, because those are the kind of principles and qualities that guide the evolution of our soul. And so in in that kind of setting in the core, uh, receiving the kind of lessons that I would receive through demonstration, uh, I would then tumble back down to that earth form I view. And that's the part that initially was so perplexing and confusing, was how in the world did I ascend through these uh, higher spiritual levels, and then all of a sudden, without apparent explanation, wind up back at the beginning. And the good news was I quickly discovered that by remembering the musical notes of the melody, I could conjure up that light portal that led up into the Gateway Valley. And the important lesson there is music, or what we remember as music, or describe as music. And of course, do note that in that realm, you no longer have ears to hear, you no longer have eyes to see. It's one of the reasons that uh, these experiences are described as ineffable or indescribable, because our modes Mm -hmm. of knowing are vastly greater than our modes of knowing when we're in these physical bodies with ears, eyes, skin, nose, you know, the sensory organs, and a brain that is very involved with, with reducing the information flow down to this tiny trickle of an apparent here and now and sense of self. Uh, so that that realm is like drinking consciousness from a fire hose. And that's, that's the kind of environment where you would go through a life review and have all of those things manifest in front of you for you to re-experience. 
and do it not only from your perspective, but from that of others. That's the kind of stage we're talking about. So why would you expect that that stage would be very simply like the information flow of this realm? That's one of the important things that people need to understand. Now, it turns out, as I said, I, I was told in the core, every time I entered there, you're not here to stay. You'll be going back. I'd even come to believe that going back was going back to the reforms I view. So after several passages through these multiple levels, uh, my thinking was, well, go back just means I go back to where I can then conjure up the musical melody, come back up into the gateway, and then up into the core again. But no, they weren't kidding. And there came a time when I could no longer conjure up that beautiful uh, musical melody to lead me up to the Gateway Valley. To say I was sad at that point would be a vast understatement. Uh, But also, I knew I could trust. I'd been told every time going through there by this beautiful guardian angel, uh, you are deeply loved and cared for. You will be taken care of. And I knew that was true. I, I trust that. And that's a trust that we can all gain from these kind of experiences uh, and sharing of them. And then of course, through meditation and centering prayer to find out uh, for ourselves by exploring our own consciousness. But anyway, uh, at at this stage in the journey where I'd been kind of banned from being able to reascend to that uh, gateway Valley, I was then aware of thousands of beings going around off into the distance all around me with heads bowed, hands up in front of their chest, murmuring energy coming from them. And they, the, the energy was surprising to me because it, it came bundled with this beautiful feeling of comfort and love and compassion, like those that whole arrangement was for my benefit. And when I came back to this world writing that part of the journey up, I said that was the power of prayer. And I was feeling the prayers of, of people on earth. But I was kind of witnessing mm-hmm. it, thousands of beings praying for this return. And so that's when I, I was beginning to realize that something new was unfolding in this journey. That's when I saw six faces that would just bubble up out of the muck. They'd say a few words that I couldn't understand, and then they'd disappear. And those faces were very important. They ended up serving as what are called veridical time anchors in the whole uh, process. That is, they occurred at the very end of the journey. So this extraordinary experience that to me seemed to go on for months uh, had to happen uh, between days probably one in one in four or one in five of my seven-day coma. And I go into the details of that ordering in the book. But the bottom line is that those people were uh, uh, five of the uh, six were there um, just the last 24 hours I was in coma. They were in my ICU room. And I only recognized that in the hours after I woke up. Now, I remember them as vividly in my mind today as if it all happened this morning. So the images of those faces was burned into my awareness, but I had no idea who they were when they occurred. And, you know, hours later as I was coming out of this coma and my language was coming back, and initially I didn't recognize loved ones, but then I was starting to recognize them. Memories were coming back very quickly. And that's when I said, well, you were there and you were there. And, but then there was one who wasn't there, and that was Susan Wrenches. And she was a family friend. In fact, I had first met her in English class in, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill as an undergraduate in 1972. And we'd become good friends. But then, our, you know, we kind of uh, 
fell apart from each other after leaving uh, college and that kind of thing. But then she started working with my former spouse as a teacher. And it turns out, Coos and Wrenches, this woman we're talking about, had uh, done a lot of work in channeling, uh, you know, where she would help people. She would go into a, a trance state and help people, especially people in coma, things like that. That's why my family contacted her when I was in coma to see if she could oh. help. And I, when I was then coming out of coma, as I said, but Susan was here too, but where is she? They said, well, she was never physically here. She was only uh, channeled here on nights four and five of coma. And I was aware of her just as readily as of those other people who were physically present. And, of course, having just come out of that coma, I knew that that is a completely non-local experience that involves the entire universe as its possible field of operations. And so to me, it was no surprise at all that she'd never gotten closer to 120 miles uh, physically from where we were, but she was very obvious to me. Now, if you my coma, asked me about Susan and her channeling, I would have said channeling is nonsense. The brain creates consciousness. We can only know through the kin of our physical senses, blah, blah, blah. But after my coma, I knew I, that was dead wrong because she was as present there. In fact, she helped me to come back to this world, even though I didn't recognize her, of course, at the time. But it was through a lot of her appearance to me and also some mantras that she gave my family to help bring me back to this world. But getting to the end of this part of the story, uh, it all came to a conclusion with the sixth face of those six that I've mentioned. And that was a 10-year-old boy. Uh, it was my son, Bond. And uh, I had no idea who it was when this experience happened to me at the end of coma. But it turns out that was the Sunday morning, day seven of coma. Doctors had said to the family I'd gone from 10% chance of survival down to 2%, and now there was no chance of recovery. I mean, seven days in coma, that deep a coma from meningoencephalitis just doesn't leave any picking up from it. And I've found no medical cases in the medical literature that match up to my case in terms of that claim of the miraculous nature of my healing. Um, but the important thing is when Bond, they protected him from the worst news during the week. But uh, for that conference, he was outside the door and he overheard this about stopping antibiotics and letting me go. And he knew that was horrible news. So he came running down the highway, uh, hallway into medical ICU bed 10 where I was lying there on my ventilator, as I had been for the week, eyes taped shut, and he pulled my eyes open, one eye looking up left, the other down right, neither pupil responding. Anybody in medicine knows that's a horrible picture. I promise you I did not see him with my eyes. I did not hear him with my ears. I was very far gone into deep spiritual realms, having this experience on my way to dying and leaving this world. And that's when uh, Bond was pleading with me, Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay, as if somehow that would make it so. Now, I did not understand the words. I sensed him very powerfully, and I had thought through this entire experience, given my amnesia, I had thought, well, this can all continue or it can cease. It doesn't matter. But now, all of a sudden, it mattered. And I was actually, I, you know, people often ask me, Many points in this journey, were you terrified or frightened? And I would always say no. Well, the no applies right up to this very end, where now when I witnessed Bond's face and that pleading, even though I didn't know the words and didn't know who he was, I sensed this extremely powerful connection between us and knew I had to come back for him. 
that was the first moment of terror in this entire adventure was because now there was an imperative for me to be there for another soul. And yet I had no idea the rules of this realm or how to do any of that. But by thinking it and knowing it, that was what brought me back to this world. And that's when I started to wake up uh, in that ICU room. And as I said, at first it was a very frightening experience for everybody involved. I mean, for me, (laughs) I was elated. And as I describe in Proof of Heaven, when I was first coming out of coma, I was just sitting on the bed like this little Buddha saying, all is well. Don't worry. All is well. That's what I'm telling everybody at the bedside. And they're looking at me like, my God, you aren't even supposed to be here. Um, But, you know, that was the beginning of two months of recovery that's complete. And there is a medical um, case report on my medical records that's very important. It came out 10 years post, um, post-coma, came out in uh, 2018. It was written by three doctors who were not involved in my care, but they were absolutely fascinated by this miraculous recovery. And they spent uh, basically the better part of two years going through more than 600 pages of my medical reports and then submitting the case report. And uh, Uh, In fact, when it was submitted to the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases in 2018, the the peer reviewer said, wait a minute, this case is absurd. How do you explain it? Somebody this sick, based on these medical parameters, doesn't end up having a full recovery. So how do you explain it? And the three doctors who wrote the case report knew, and they said it's because he had a near-death experience that this, this healing occurred. And the case of the scientific reviewer said, okay, that's enough for us. And they published the case report. And that's a very important point for people to get is just how ill I was. And they make a a very good case in the case report that my brain was in absolutely no shape to conjure up any kind of dream or hallucination, much less the most vivid, ultra-real, alive, detailed, meaningful, and memorable set of events of my entire life, which is what often happens in an NDE. You have that kind of powerful experience that change your life forever. And that's why I think this literature is so important to people. Not so much as what happens when I die, but it really opens the door wide to uh, manifesting the will of our higher soul. And when I say that, what I mean is contribute to our own healing. And in fact, so much of the work I do today as a doctor uh, is to help people understand that through uh, prayer and meditation and through other ways of kind of acknowledging this power that mind has over matter, spirit has over matter, that we can actually take charge of our lives in a far more profound way. So many of us live our lives from the little ego position. The ego is a weak and tiny little thing. Unfortunately, most of us also identify with our ego as who we are that running stream of thoughts in our head. They, we say, that's who I am, is that running stream of thoughts. But in meditation, what Karen and I teach people in our workshops is the first thing to do is put that little ego mind into timeout and realize that is not your consciousness. Your consciousness is the awareness of those thoughts. And that aspect of your awareness is something that naturally expands when you die and are liberated from the shackles of the physical brain and body. And that's what near-death experiencers describe all the time, is an expansion of consciousness, not a constriction. And that's where I think uh, 
this kind of lesson is so important. But uh, suffice it to say, uh, as I after I realized what had happened and the miraculous nature of my own recovery, that's when I was compelled to put the story out there, not just as a neuroscientific case report, which was my original idea, but much more uh, as a book for the general public, because I was coming to realize the power of the story and how important it was for this world at large. And that's really why I ended up uh, publishing, writing and publishing the book Proof of Heaven. And then that is because there have been, uh, you know, 13 plus years since the coma experience, I now also have written The Map of Heaven, which is a book uh, really about the commonality of these experiences um, across thousands of years in all continents, all belief systems. And also then finally, the real proof of heaven is the third book, Living in a Mindful Universe, which I co-wrote with my life partner, Karen Newell, who I met in 2011. Uh, and she is the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, which is a form of binaural beat brainwave entrainment, which we can certainly talk about as a powerful uh, technique for meditation, for getting deep into a primordial consciousness. And um, But living in a mindful universe is really the proof of heaven, because that's where science and spirituality start to come together uh, in a profound recognition of the scientific revolution that's taking this world by storm. Well, we're thrilled that you took the time to write the book, and now even taking these these concepts further out into the world so we can all share in this new experience of leaving the ego behind. I love that, putting the ego in time out. It definitely needs to go there so that we can have this larger experience. But I I know, Michelle, you probably have so much to say here, and I'm going (laughs) to let you take the floor. But I do have one question, and it's more of, how did you get this disease? I mean, this is so rare, and it's, again, it's, it's like, do you, did they ever figure out where this came from? I know they were looking into your trip to Israel to see if that might have right. been but, the point of origin. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of information about that, certainly in Proof of Heaven and also in Living in a Mindful Universe. Uh, we talk more about that kind of discussion of how did this happen, the kind of shock and surprise of my physicians. But they were all absolutely amazed by, uh, you know, the turn of events and my ultimate recovery to the point where uh, the Lynchburg Academy of Medicine, which is the county medical society for the entire group of doctors that took care of me and that occupied that hospital, had me to give a talk on my experience. You know, people often ask me, what do your skeptical medical colleagues think of this? Well, my medical colleagues were fascinated by this recovery. And and that's the part people need to understand is that, miraculous healing as it occurs in near-death experiences and mine is not the only one of course that's why the doctors who wrote the case report made that statement is because they knew of other cases of near-death experience where profound and miraculous healing had occurred and the explanation is then that the experience excuse me is what allows for all of that to happen Uh, but no they never found a cause for it as you're pointing out e coli uh, meningitis almost always happens in newborns. It's extremely rare beyond the age of three months. So how in the world did a 54-year-old man come down with this illness? We never found a good reason, but uh, to me the, the reason is actually a much deeper and more profound reason, and that is that it was part of my spiritual journey. 
I was to go through this experience to come to a deeper understanding of consciousness and the mind-brain relationship and to help the world get up to speed with that. That's the reason it happened, was uh, to share this story. Well, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it also makes sense in the fact that the source energy is much more powerful than any bacteria. I mean, here's a bacteria that wiped out your brain, but yet the source energy uh, was, you know, that that bacteria was no match for that source energy. So, well, thank goodness. Yeah, ultimately it, it has to do with acknowledging that that, uh, that force, that uh, kind of God force of, of, uh, uh, of source, as you're pointing out, uh, has the ultimate power of uh, everything evolving. But we, it's important to say that we, we co-create our future with that force. So in other words, that God force loves us so much as to give us that free will to allow us to make the choices in our lives. Uh, but this is all about gaining the wisdom to be proper stewards of that free will and proper stewards of our lives and bodies and of this planet. And that's why this lesson of awakening is coming to this world, because in so many ways, our world is in trouble because of the false thinking of materialist science and its false sense of separation, as opposed to a more quantum-informed uh, vision of consciousness. And, and this is really the, the view that's coming to the modern science of consciousness, is really the view of the one mind, that we're sharing that mind, that God force. Uh, and, and this is an extremely liberating and refreshing idea that's right there at the heart of living in a mindful universe. That book goes a long way towards making this case from a scientific and spiritual perspective. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Michelle, it's your turn. <laughs> yes. No. Well, I mean, there were a couple things that were coming to me. So when Dr. Alexander, when you were talking about that healing that's available to people through NDEs, 100% that is. And when I connect with angels or spirit, because I work as a medium, oftentimes spirit will tell me that humans call these miracles, but spirit calls it happenings because it's about us getting in alignment, body, mind, and spirit. And once we're in alignment, we are now open to that healing energy flowing through us. Absolutely. So I, don't, well, I was just going to add, yeah. that to me as a healer, any physical, mental, or emotional healing is ultimately based in spiritual healing. And when I use the word spiritual, it doesn't have to be religious. It has two ingredients, that we're connected through this one mind, uh, and the evidence for that is very strong. We can go into it. Uh, as we go here, but also that there's meaning and purpose to this, that it's not just a meaningless, accidental, chaotic uh, adventure, which is what materialist scientific thought would try and tell you. Materialist science will very proudly scoff at any statement you have that you have free will, because materialist uh, science would say that uh, it's all chemical reactions and electron fluxes in the substance of the brain giving us an illusion of conscious awareness. But they have it completely backwards, because the thing that ultimately exists is the mental or spiritual layer of this universe. And it's from that layer that everything else evolves. It's not some material soup bubbling along chaotically and accidentally. There's a lot more purpose and meaning to this, and that's something we discuss in all three of the books. 
That's absolutely correct. I feel that 100%. And the other thing that I really liked about what you were saying, when you were talking about the musical um, notes or the songs, the melodies, you would say, and it would take you back to this next level. To me, that was truly a vibration, right? Because there's a vibrational match in there, which would help us all to step up to the next level wherever we are in our life. Right. Well, I I think that, yeah, people... uh are just beginning to really learn how the concepts of music, vibration, frequency, and uh, what we remember in this world or experience as music uh, can also be a form of knowledge uh, uh, transfer and of the navigating those spiritual realms. So uh, very important. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it's fascinating that I, I came into that link between kind of music and what I heard as these chants and anthems, hymns, and using that to conjure up these portals between spiritual levels. Uh, especially fascinating because so much of my work, especially as we describe um, in the third book, Living the Mind of the Universe, has to do with meditation and meditation techniques. And I met Karen Newell in the uh, in 2011, she was the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, and people can learn more about that at sacredacoustics.com. But the reality is I was just beginning to learn in my you know, year and two after coma that if I really wanted to learn about this, I'd read 150 books on physics, neuroscience, cosmology, trying to put it all together. But ultimately, I discovered if you really want to get it, you have to explore your own consciousness. You can't expect to just read all this and be an armchair philosopher and figured it all out, you have to do it. And by having had that profound NDE experience, I knew I had to go back in. Uh, I, I started meditating every day. I started using differential frequency brainwave entrainment. That is, uh, and you can uh, you know, define that. Just go to sacredacoustics.com and you can learn a lot more. But the upshot is that these sounds are processed in the lower brain stem. That's very different from every other sound you've ever heard. And I believe that's one of the reasons why they're so powerful at inducing transcendental uh, states of conscious awareness. But the meditation is what I've been doing. And Karen and I go around the world teaching meditation workshops because of the ability to heal. Once you realize, Mm -hmm. as medical science realized more than six decades ago with placebo effect, you know, that's the gold standard for any modern uh, medicine or some surgical procedures that we can do a sham procedure, we can model this placebo effect because medical scientists admitted decades ago that beliefs, thoughts, and attitudes can play a huge role in healing. And this goes far beyond just a sugar pill fixing a headache. Uh, For example, if you go to noetic.org, the Institute of Noetic Sciences website, put in the search term spontaneous remission, you will uncover a book they published in the mid-1990s and it's out of print now, but that's because they're redoing the entire database to up, update it all, which will be a fantastic uh, book when they publish that. But this older book already has 3,500 cases of people with advanced cancer, infections, and other things that they were able to heal beyond any uh, influence of medical intervention through often spiritual factors, uh, addressing their emotions and how they uh, process negative emotions, how they encouraged and cultivated positive emotions, how they developed a more kind of spiritual and prayerful approach to life and uh, uh, things like that. But the point is uh, that you then get to this incredible range of miraculous healing in NDEs, and it's just part of a spectrum 
of healing abilities that we all have. And that's why I like sharing so much my journey and my discoveries of meditation and healing in the last decade, because all of this helps many people to invoke their own healing and to come into wholeness uh, and alignment with their soul journey. And that's what this is really all about. And, of course, as we've said earlier, that is not your little ego voice, not your little rational voice in your head telling you which way to go in terms of achieving this. But really, we, we get much more when we open our uh, awareness through meditation and centering prayer and other modes of going within to help us come to this higher kind of sense of self. And that's where the healing really occurs. Absolutely. So in my third NDE, I felt like, well, no, I know for a fact, I was downloaded with a bunch of information before I came back into my body. But I also know I don't remember it all, and it gets revealed to me pieces at a time. Have you had that experience, or do you feel like you remember everything that you learned in that experience? No, that's absolutely a beautiful point, because I've, I've spent 13 years working very hard with additional meditation. Uh, as I said, I meditate an hour to a day, uh, all mm-hmm. in terms of kind of unpacking the lessons from the NDE. And I feel like I can spend the rest of my life doing that. And I still won't completely unpack it before, you know, mm-hmm. I finally leave this physical body and, and go back because there is so much to it. And, and also remember that even, and, uh, we should at some point get into a discussion of reincarnation because if people think that this all follows, you know, one incarnation, then eternal heaven or hell or blah, 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 that's wrong. And, and the scientific evidence for reincarnation is overwhelming. Go to uvadops.org, University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. That's just one very reliable resource. But at that, that group of academic, uh, uh, scientists, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and other medical scientists, they've uh, investigated more than 2,500 cases of past life memories in children indicative of reincarnation um, over the last six decades. And if you read that literature, you realize reincarnation is absolutely a part of this human existence. We cannot deny it, but then we have to try and explain it. And that's where in books like Living in a Mindful Universe, we try and go to the next level of explanation. But the reason I bring it all up is because nobody should be under the illusion of thinking that you get it all done in terms of spiritual growth in that in this one incarnation, and then you're just done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the life review is a course correction. It involves uh, reuniting with souls of departed loved ones and then planning the next incarnation. And all of that is a very crucial part of the discussion of brain, mind, consciousness, memory, all of that, anybody who's discussing those topics must be able to incorporate these afterlife experiences and the reincarnation experiences in their theoretical models if they're trying to explain the reality of human existence. Absolutely, and that leads us to what you were talking about before where you said memories are stored in the quantum field. This is how we access past life regression. Exactly. That's a beautiful point. And important to point out, this is not just about, you know, 2,500 cases at UVA, but the whole world of transpersonal psychology, advantage of this notion that we're much more than just a body living a birth-to-death existence. And that's where the transpersonal piece of it comes in. Transpersonal 
means we must go beyond just this person in this lifetime to get to some of the answers and ingredients of the challenges we have and our way to work out of them. I would say that transpersonal psychology in many ways was born out of, uh, you know, some of the, the work of Carl Jung, the, the renowned uh, mid-20th century Swiss uh, psycho uh, psychiatrist, uh, also Dr. Stan Groff, Dr. Michael Newton, Dr. Brian Weiss. I mean, these brilliant investigators, uh, uh, Robert Schwartz, there, there are many of them who uh, have basically acknowledged they used hypnotic regression or people would have past life memories and a near-death experience or what have you. But they, they realized that the only way or the most effective way to deal with the issues they had in this lifetime was to acknowledge that they'd had previous experiences in other lifetimes. And this is extraordinarily important in the modern era to understand this, to explain so many of the things going on in our culture and in our understanding and in our personal situation, this acknowledgement of, uh, you know, that it's not just about nature and nurture, that is genetics and upbringing, but that there's this third pathway of information that contributes to our personhood. And that is that we've lived prior lifetimes. Now, as the like Jim Tucker and Dr. Ian Stevenson, the people who head up those studies will tell you, you have to harvest these memories from children before age five or six because they're natural processes that cover them over. And interestingly enough, there's also something called the amnesia of childhood that most people will admit to, and that is because of the developing of our linguistic brain and linguistic uh, kind of mode of thinking, we shift gears at age six or seven to where it's very difficult to remember things from earlier years, um, and that's all part of the package. Uh, th- those are the years where those past life memories are most, uh, most present, but they get naturally covered over, and that's why most of us as adults don't necessarily remember those past life events. Uh, but, uh, you know, with hypnotic regression, with a near-death experience, uh, with some kind of spontaneous uh, spiritually transformative experience, those memories are revealed to us again. So anyway, it's just a, a mm-hmm. fascinating uh, additional topic concerning consciousness and this uh, scientific revolution. Yeah. So I have a, an interesting question. Do you believe in a soul or do you believe in consciousness or do you feel that those words are interchangeable? Well, I, I believe very strongly in the soul. And I believe mm-hmm. that, uh, well, for one thing, you can never have, I mean, it, t- there's so many reflections of the discussion going on in physics today. Uh, in physics, mm-hmm. people have come to realize over that you shouldn't really be talking about particles like electrons and protons and quarks and things like that because they're all really just vibrations in the quantum field uh, and that's kind of the mm-hmm. ultimate thing that exists is that quantum field uh, and likewise it makes no sense to talk about an individual soul because this is really much more about the evolution of all of consciousness uh, and not just mm-hmm. an individual um, and and my thinking on that was initiated when I read uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin's book the Phenomenon of Man, written in the mid-20th century. He was very scientific, a paleontologist, uh, but he was also a French Jesuit priest, so he was spiritual. And he recognized this discussion of Darwinian evolution that was going on in the mid-20th century as something that was, the discussion was puny compared to what he saw as the real evolution, which was of consciousness itself. 
And I believe that's exactly what's going on. So really what we're talking about here is this notion of the one mind, and we're all part of it. It's like we're sharing the dream of the one mind. But it's all in the process of grace and evolution and transformation. This is the evolution of consciousness itself. And just like that old saying, all politics is local, all evolution of consciousness throughout the cosmos, which I think is the reason the whole universe exists, is nothing more than individual sentient beings coming to a much deeper understanding of their connectedness with the universe and with each other. All of our fellow beings, we're all in this together, and we're really here to help each other. And that's why that life review uh, is so critical. If you hurt another, you're truly hurting yourself. And that's why life review is done Mm -hmm. in that ambience of love and compassion and kindness to show us the Mm -hmm. error of our ways if we mistreat ourselves or others. And that's the big lesson this world needs to hear today because we don't live uh, by the golden rule. And we really need to pay attention to this. Near-death experiences are absolutely real. There's no question of their reality to the scientific community that studies them in terms of being more than just some chaotic uh, hallucination. And that's where we have to take these seriously, and they can contribute to everyone's life once you know about these kind of stories and hear about the kind of healing that's possible. We realize all of us can do this when we uh, have that proper focus on kind of the mental layer of the universe and our ability to glean information from that layer and also to influence it. And that's where this discussion of placebo effects, spontaneous remission, and miraculous healing in NDEs is so important because they're all possibilities we all have. And this, uh, this healing is something that we need individually and we need as a, a planet because we've become very sick, intoxicated, by uh, some of the uh, uh, errors of materialist thinking, especially this false sense of separation, that we're separate beings and that we're in competition. That was a complete misinterpretation of Darwinian evolution. Biologists today will tell you that evolution is all about collaboration and cooperation, not simply about competition, as that discussion in the mid-20th century was so focused on. So this is really about healing and coming into wholeness. And it's an important lesson for the planet at large right now. And that's why this whole awakening is happening. Absolutely. And And I think that's really important, too. Yeah. For people to remember that we actually are a conscious choice. We are a conscious choice to be here right now. But there's so much power in that, right? And the other thing is none of us are here by accident. So very often I'll have clients who are like, I don't think I belong here. You're not accidentally here on planet Earth. You are here as a conscious choice, and you are here to help this planet upgrade to a better level, a higher level. Right. I I agree completely, and I think that is one of the most profound lessons coming out of this movement uh, in the scientific community about getting this out there. Uh, That's why we wrote our three books, especially Living in a Mindful Universe. That's why we give all these talks and workshops and encourage people to go within. You know, in this day and age, there's a tremendous amount of of, of bereavement, anxiety, grief, you know, the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. the economic collapse, now this horrific uh, war with uh, Putin's aggression on Ukraine, uh, which I do not believe is at all supported by a knowing Russian public. Uh, I do not blame the Russian public at all, but uh, this horrific war is being perpetrated 
Um, and it's up to all of us to take a stand to try and make this world a better place. I mean, obviously, the world is a very fragile and beautiful gift, and I think we are mistreating it, especially with all the climate change issues, our addiction to fossil fuels, economic polarization. I mean, there are many issues that have arisen directly from that false sense of separation that comes from materialist science as opposed to a more uniform um, synthesis, uh, you know, the quantum-informed well, view of consciousness and the one mind. It also has to do with giving away our power. I mean, if you look at how we now look at our institutions, and it's very different than how it was so many years ago when we we just blindly trusted everything that we were being told, whether it was by the pharmaceutical companies or by our own government. I mean, there's been a huge shift that's happened that is saying, take back your own power over all of this. Well, and certainly the near-death experience gives you that. Well, it, it absolutely does. And uh, uh, it all it's interesting, though, because it, you don't come back with an egotistical power you come back with a tremendous sense of the higher good and of helping mm-hmm. others. I mean, that's a, a fairly universal effect of a near-death experience. And, and a lot mm-hmm. of that has to do with that life review. We realize that we're all interconnected and we really need to help each other. I mean, life can be very tough as it is, uh, and human beings can make it far tougher on other human beings. Why in the world would we do that? Let's make life easier for our fellow uh, beings and also, of course, recognize that this whole uh, scientific movement in support of this notion of the one mind um, is, is uh, really something uh, that uh, liberates our soul in many ways. Uh, you know, there's no better way to receive the love and caring of the universe than to serve as a, as a conduit for that love and caring and mercy and forgiveness and pass it out to all of our fellow beings. The other important point I'd like to make is this is not just about human beings. There's you know, nothing special about us in that sense. In a spiritual sense, animals are very much part of the picture. Don't dismiss them at all. And I think ultimately it's this revolution in human understanding about the mind-brain relationship, the primacy of mind expands, and all of us begin to realize the truth to it. We will have to radically change how we interact with animals. And that certainly includes uh, the food industry. And I'm not saying that, you know, animals eating animals is not part of the natural world because it is part of the natural world. But certainly the way humans treat animals with caging for life and all that kind of thing is absolutely abhorrent from a spiritual perspective. We need to really uh, reconsider all the ways that we interact with uh, our fellow beings, and that includes uh, animals. Definitely, definitely. Well, we have a question. Someone called in and has raised their hand. They want to ask you a question, so let me bring them on the air. This is area code 570. You've been patiently waiting. Let me bring you live. Hi, who's this? Hey, my name's Tom. Hi, Tom. Do you have a question for Dr. Alexander? Uh, uh, Yeah, so just like a really quick little bit of background before I ask. Um, so my mom passed away about eight years ago, you know, completely unexpected. It was a suicide, you know, just no warning, no signs, you know, I can, I I've accepted at this point, you know, I'm just not going to have the answers, you know, that's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. after she passed away, you know, I, I 
started kind of, you know, looking for answers or closure, whatever you want to call it, and came across uh, Proof of Heaven. You know, it gave me a lot of comfort. Um, you know, and I've read other books and, you know, talked with, uh, you know, good friends about, you know, different things. I, I guess just theories, what I call them. Um, so wh- one of the biggest things that, like, I, I kind of, you know, want to know if, if, if you guys would agree with, um, we're talking about the, uh, you know, overlap with, uh, you know, science, quantum physics, and all of that, you know, with spirituality. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people don't want to go near it just out of, you know, fear, you know, to, to acknowledge that they, they don't have the answer to these things, you know, which, again, people don't seem to like to admit that they they don't have control and that they're limited in the sense where, you know, they just can't comprehend it. And I was curious, you know, if, if uh, the doctor, you know, would agree with that because, you know, where he has been, I'm sure he's seen things, you know, and again, he can have, you know, maybe an idea of the meaning, but I don't know, you know, if he ever felt like he really understood, you know, the entire picture, I guess. Well, Tom, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, great to hear you. I'm so sorry for your loss of your mother, and I know you. uh, uh, how tragic, uh, you know, it can be for people to lose one through, a loved one through suicide. Uh, the one thing I'd like to clarify, some people have this erroneous idea that, um, you know, someone who is uh, suicidal, uh, that, that in some way that their um, journey on the other side is less favorable. And I would say uh, that's, that's not at all true. That what happens is they come to realize how much love is there for them. Uh, you know, so that's what you, you often hear stories of people committing attempting suicide who don't uh, uh, succeed. And the, the work I know of, especially uh, through conversations with Raymond Moody, uh, is that, uh, that universally in his experience, people who had any of the elements of an NDE after an attempted suicide never tried it again. And the reason that's important for you to understand is the same thing happens uh, when someone successfully commits suicide that on the other side, they get that beautiful message of love and understanding about this life and realize that uh, there was no reason for them to take their life. That's, that's right. the point I'm trying to make. Now, if, if you're kind of suggesting, you know, that I, I feel that I know everything, that's absolutely not true at all. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty much asking... I'm asking, um, like, and we're talking about the quantum physics and how it's overlapping with a lot of spirituality and, um, you know, and, and certain physicists, uh, you know, don't want to go anywhere near it. They, you know, want to avoid it. And like I said, my, my view on that is, you know, they want to avoid it because, you know, at some point they'd have to admit, hey, we, we can only get so far, you know, but we, we can't ever answer, you know, all of this. And like I said, you know, that they're, they're basically admitting that, you know, they're, they're not infallible or that, you know, again, they're not perfect. I, I believe that our, our minds by, you know, our design are limited in the sense where, you know, we, we can only um, understand what we're able to. So, you know, talking about higher that's, dimensions, that's true. We, we, can, we can't, you know, we can't understand what these dimensions could be. And even with the afterlife, you know, I've talked with some friends that have asked about, you know, my views on, uh, you know, religion and, you know, atheists or whatever. 
you know, what's happening. Like, I, I, I couldn't possibly explain any of it because I don't know. We, we've never experienced that level of happiness, you know. So, well, what I will say, Tom, is I think what's happening now. Uh, there's been a lot of confusion around consciousness and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, physicists for going back, uh, you know, almost a hundred years. There have been physicists who realized that some of the experiments right at the core of, you know, the material world, like quantum physics, uh, the subatomic makeup of the world around us, the experiments very strongly suggest that consciousness itself is primary and fundamental in the universe. That's what, you know, those quotes from uh, Erwin Schrodinger and Werner Heisenberg and um, um, John von Neumann, et cetera. I mean, they're all over the place. Uh, it, it, living in mind for the universe, we talk about it because they realize the depths of this. Now, modern, uh, uh, some in the modern physics community will still say quantum physics has nothing to do with consciousness, but that is only because they don't understand consciousness. Uh, and there are physicists who have addressed this, who have who recognized this extraordinary mystery, like Roger Penrose. He wrote that beautiful book in 1989 of the Emperor's New Mind. Uh, you know, he's won a Nobel Prize. He's very knowledgeable. He knew that we had to come up with a much deeper understanding of consciousness, ultimately. And there are many other physicists. Uh, um, Henry Stapp has written ex- extensively on uh, the kind of deep mystery of consciousness and the brain and how, how can we uh, come to an understanding of it all. Uh, Brian Josephson, another Nobel laureate, has, uh, has written about this. Uh, Bernard Carr. I mean, there are multiple physicists, highly respected. In fact, I would recommend for everybody, go to GalileoCommission.org if you want to learn a tremendous amount more about those physicists, about this um, revolution in science, about consciousness being fundamental in the universe, from a scientific perspective, GalileoCommission.org is a beautiful resource uh, to get into all of that. And what I will tell you, Tom, is that we're actually making big progress now. It's no longer just throw your hands up and say, I don't know. Uh, but we're actually making huge progress. And we point at that progress in living in a mindful universe. For those who are want to get deep as can be into the science of it, I recommend the books uh, from the University of Virginia Ed Kelly is the editor of the three biggest books on this. Uh, Irreducible Mind was out in 2007. Uh, Then the next book, Beyond Physicalism, came out in 2015. Uh, That one discusses my case as part of their material. And then the book uh, Consciousness Unbound by Ed Kelly, edited by Ed Kelly, came out in spring of 2021. And what you'll see as a scientist reading these books is progressively we're actually making tremendous progress in coming towards a view that works of all of this. Uh, To cut to the chase, you know, we describe idealism, uh, objective idealism, as the best philosophical model for the universe in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. But when we do that, we're simply saying, as many people in this field are saying, that Consciousness is something much more primordial and fundamental than the brain and this physical universe. Uh, And all of what we perceive in a physical universe seems to be emerging from that mental layer. That's why when I talk about placebo effects, spontaneous remission, and miraculous healing in NDEs, I'm talking about non-physical or non-physically derived results. I mean, that kind of healing is not through anything that we can define as 
molecular, uh, you know, physics, chemistry, biology, mm-hmm. cellular mechanisms in a biological system as much as mind over matter. Uh, and uh, that's uh, exactly where all this is going, is, is trying to better figure out people's abilities. And when you read those, if you read those three books I mentioned by Ed Kelly, you'll start realizing there's tremendous evidence the absolute reality of things like telepathy, precognition, uh, out-of-body experiences, remote viewing. Uh, I mean, we talk about all that and give it a great support in our book, Living in a Mind of the Universe. And Ed Kelly uh, goes very far in his book supporting the reality of all that. They're all just making the point that consciousness is fundamental in the universe. It's primary. Mind or spirit over matter is the way all this can evolve. We just have to learn how to use it, how to wield that kind of information right. acquisition as well as the influence on the physical world. Well, I think even with that, too, like a big, big problem, you know, a lot of people's primary motivation towards any, you know, spiritualism, religion, out of fear. It's, you know, it's reactionary, you know, based out, you know, if you're a Christian, oh, you know, you're, you're constantly, uh, you know, being uh, made to feel like, you know, if you don't do this, you have to, you know, worry about hell. And, you know, that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about, you know, love and, you know, looking for the positive. Right. And like I said, a yeah. lot of people, you know, they treat it like it's an insurance policy. Well, I went to church. Well, and Tom, I, you know, like that's... Well, Tom, you're, well, Tom you're I exactly want to thank right. you. Yeah, that's thank you very point. much. Thank hey, you thank so you much for your call tonight. I, we're running out of time, I, I so add, I don't mean... I, I would just add no. to Tom's answer there that... The reality is, you know, going in with your heart in meditation and centering prayer, uh, focusing on the well-being of all fellow beings, all of that, you know, not just, you don't have to bank on 2,000-year-old scripture. Let's go have personal experience, prayer, meditation. Uh, start living this life of sharing love and forgiveness and kindness with our fellow beings and just do that. Do it every minute of every day, and sooner or later your life starts to transform tremendously. It doesn't I have agree. to be from a position of fear and anxiety. So thank you for well, your thank call. thank you very, very much for, for answering the questions. It. I appreciate that. And honest to God, your book helped me immensely, you know, with having to deal with my mom, and I really appreciate um, that, though. So. I'm so glad to hear it. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks for thank sharing. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Tom. No, we're we're coming down to the end of the show. I hate to say that because, my goodness, we've learned so much just listening to everything you had to say tonight. But I, I know, Michelle, you have more questions. I have a question as well. The melody, have you ever been able to recover that? <laughs> I think you're a plant. I get asked that question all the time, and usually I think it's coming from a musician. <laughs> But the reality is, uh, and I've described this in many talks and, and books, et cetera, but, you know, as I said earlier, that world is like Plato's world of ideals. And the music there is not heard with physical ears and interpreted in a physical brain. So it's far more profound and transcendental in its very nature. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, no, I've not been able to identify that tone uh, here in this world, but I do encounter it in deep in meditation. And this is why I encourage people to meditate is because or uh, and for me, meditation is a form of centering prayer. That is a form of uh, not not a supplicative prayer of asking for certain things, 
Uh, because for me, it's always thy will, not mine be done. It's an admission that that God force of love, if I simply follow that with my heart, that the right things will happen for me and that I may not know what those things are. Uh, therefore, I just pray that the right thing and the highest good for all involved be the outcome. And I'm shocked how often the highest good is what transpires in that kind of setting. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really just the importance of learning our that the mental space is, you know, within our mind is where we can uh, both gain much more information about the universe and we can uh, also act on it. Important thing to point out here is uh, that ego mind is not your friend in this business. And you're not going to be using your linguistic brain to think your way to the answer. That's where meditation is so important. That's why something like sacred acoustics can be so powerful. Differential frequencies applied at the level of the lower brainstem uh, is, is kind of a magic. We talk about it a lot in Living in the Mind for Universe, so I explain it much more fully there. But this uh, kind of separation allows us to transcend that veiling function of the brain and come more in touch with primordial mind, just as we mm-hmm. do in an NDE or any other spiritually transformative experience. Right. And that's where right. the real magic is. And that's where the real power of all of this is. And that's why I encourage everybody, meditate, pray, all those things of going within and, and learning that territory and, the, and learning your relationship with the universe and your purpose. All of those things come out of a, a mindful approach to life that involves some period of time every day where we don't let that little ego mind drive us crazy. <laughs> which it loves to do well it's interesting it to me that there are portals on the other side as well as there are portals here and both michelle and i know someone that was given a melody to chant in front of the amanu moro stone door which had no handle on it no way of entering it he disappeared through that door eyewitnesses saw it happen and he encountered a very interesting energy there, which he took to be our creators. So he didn't have a near-death experience, but he did through the use of melody, through the use of this, this right. chanting, pass through this stone door, had this conversation, and luckily was able to find his way out the other side. So the power of sound is something that we'd love to have you back to talk about. There's so much to that whole experience well, there is. And and what i would what i would suggest if we do that is that we also get my partner karen new oh, definitely she is a world him, expert on the use of sound for transcendental spiritual journeys and people just need to try it go to sacredacoustics.com download their free 20-minute uh om file listen through headphones and also i would encourage people to, to look at her website she has uh, a lot some of the pages there are very good about, uh, you know, guiding you specifics of what you want to do in life and how to do it through uh, the various uh, uh, opportunities they have, the various sound files they have available. Uh, but it's it's very powerful stuff. I've, I've loved it. In fact, there's a beautiful pilot study in the peer-reviewed medical literature uh, published by Dr. Anna Yusim that uh, fully supports um, the use of sacred acoustics tones for alleviation of, uh, of anxiety uh, and depressive symptoms, that kind of thing. That case report came out in Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases in February of 2020. 
and Y-U-S-I-M, Dr. Anna Usum, that's her name. But it's uh, basically a, a 26% reduction in anxiety over two weeks versus only 7% in control. So uh, do check that out. Uh, try yeah, that's the technology. It's, it's a very powerful way of going deep within and having a transcendental journey. I am going to do it. Michelle, are you up for that? Of course. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And I know Karen would Michelle, love to come on with, with you for a discussion, too. Oh, we would love that. I used we would to work for that. Bob Monroe years ago, who is the uh-huh. one who basically introduced binaural beats and did a lot of work on it for many years. So, yeah, I would love to have you both on and talk about this. Because sound is powerful, and it does help us find a way past the ego. So it would be wonderful to hear about her work and how this how this can help everybody, especially now. So many people have so much anxiety and depression and uh, fear and concern about what's going on in the world today. So it would be nice to have a support system like this that we could introduce to people. Well, I think it's important for people to realize that with all the challenges out in this world at large today, there are ways to protect yourself and to heal yourself and to become more whole and become much more comfortable with all of it. And it, and all of these ways involve meditation and prayer to get to that centering point. Uh, and, you know, religions can be good at this, but sometimes they're, they're not as good at it. And certainly the focus on ideology and, and scripture uh, sometimes can be uh, misleading, but uh, uh, all of what we're talking about here in terms of of the science of consciousness and this revolution in science that that uh, all my books are about and these talks and presentations um, is really uh, available to all of us, and it's a part of moving this world forward and certainly rescuing this world from its own uh, kind of materialistic uh, demise, which is where we're headed if we don't uh, quit pursuing that status quo of the materialist belief system. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Michelle, do you have any more questions? We have a couple more minutes. This is your chance. <laughs> you know, it's, well, this has just been so amazing. I've really enjoyed having you on. And I love the way that you bridge both worlds with this, the, the spiritual and the scientific, and you bring it all together into one, which is what it really is. Well, that, that is true, yeah. and that's one of the biggest problems, you know, with our approach in the past, and again, this is that false separation, sense of separation of materialism, is we keep splitting the world apart to try and understand it, as opposed to trying to grok the whole world as it is. And that's where meditation is very important, because that is a way to actually really wrap your mind around the big world and universe and issues that we face. Uh, as opposed to kind of artificially splitting them out from the world and pretending that that organization and understanding and analysis is leading us to any deep truth. Uh, The deep truth requires a much bigger kind of uh, approach. And, in fact, we often talk about consilience. That is, for example, that you can argue for the one mind from the position of neuroscience with the hard problem of consciousness, from the position of philosophy of mind through the binding problem or binding issue, you can argue it from quantum physics and also from all of the evidence of non-local consciousness and parapsychology. These are all big pictures. You know, most people aren't aware of all the big features of all those fields. And yet when you do get knowledge 
of all of those fields and start tying it together, that's where you can finally start uh, understanding something as big as consciousness. Consciousness is the only thing any one of us has ever known, is our own consciousness. And yet modern materialist science is so befuddled by it all, they try and pretend consciousness doesn't even exist. So this is the approach to tie it all together, take the big picture approach, and that's where you start actually coming up with answers. Right. Now, you mentioned you meditate for one to two hours a day. That, for the American mind, is a big challenge for the most part. What's a minimum time that you would recommend for people every day to meditate? If you can just say a one-minute prayer, you're already ahead of the game of, you know, just asking for, uh, you know, the help, asking for what do I need to know right now, Uh, you know, please help, just asking for help from the universe. Uh, but and I would say if people can do 20 minutes or so a day, that's uh, that's great. That's fantastic. I mean, in fact, there's some days where I don't have time to meditate, so I have to let it go some days. But most days I do, and I try to meditate an hour or two. But I would say you can get most of the sacred acoustics sound files are 40 minutes long. So 40 minutes is an excellent meditation. They're they're also available in shorter lengths, so you can do it in like 20. Um, but I think the key is just to make it a regular practice. That's where it starts to become more and more valuable, uh, to do it on a regular basis. And you'll start noticing your, your attitude, your beliefs, your kind of uh, expectations for your abilities, your understanding and intuition, uh, empathy with others. All these things start to improve as you meditate because you're getting in touch with your, with your uh, uh, kind of higher soul. And the meditation will right. always involve getting that little voice in your head out of the way. So if the voice in your head is still chattering away, you're not in any kind of a transcendental meditative state. But what you'll find is with tools, powerful tools like sacred acoustics, might not happen the first time or the second or third, but for most people over time, you start working with it, and then there will come a time when you go, oh, my God. Now I see what they're talking about. So just keep at mm-hmm. it. And and believe me, it is money in the bank for uh, helping your world become better, kinder, nicer, gentler, more harmonious, uh, and more kind of aligned with a sense of purpose and meaning. We all need that. And thank you so much, Dr. Alexander, for joining us tonight. This has been absolutely wonderful. And we would love to have you in, and Karen back So I'll be back in touch. And in the meantime, everybody, we'll be back next week with another great show. Until then, see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Then, Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.